Welcome to Weekdays with Jesus. Today's message is from Ben Johnson, and today's song is called Father's Hands, and it is written by Matt Preston and Kip Fox. And it's written from the perspective of Joseph as he marvels at the birth of Jesus. Little fingers reaching out to me tonight. I've been excited for, for this topic and to be able to launch into it um, in our Advent journey. And I do hope that all of you have been as encouraged as I have been. If we've walked through uh, just how amazing the story is, the, this truth of when Jesus came some 2,000 years ago from prophecy, how it was foretold, to, to Bethlehem, to the shepherds, and now to the angels. We've been following the progression of the Advent candles and the stories that we tell through them. And they, it's just been very encouraging of how remarkable this story is, how, how grand and how big. But there's, uh, there's a part of this story that, to me, has been kind of hitting me even, even more than the grandiose nature of it was, yes, it was big and, and cataclysmic, and, and, and it's now the pivotal moment of human history was the birth of Jesus Christ, but how subtle the story was, how, how under the radar the entire story was, and how all of the key figures that God uses and introduces into the story are people that today, you, we would be like, why them? What, a teenage girl? A carpenter, and when you think carpenter for Joseph, it was more just like a handyman, like a craftsman in Nazareth. I mean, that's about as blue-collar as it gets. And Nazareth is just podunk. That's why they keep saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? I'm not going to lace any of our cities, but you just put that city in your mind and be like, Winterset or whatever. Just kind of an out there, like, Really? And then to the shepherds and even Bethlehem itself, there was nothing grand in any of it. All of it was just so ordinary that has been made extraordinary because God used it to wrap around the birth of Jesus Christ. Even a manger is just nothing special except for the person of Jesus was put there. So it's just been a very cool journey to be able to talk honestly about some of these key things and hopefully kind of wrap it up. Now, as we get into the topic, though, of angels, I'm going to fully admit to you, it's a tough sermon. It's a tough sermon. Think through your life. How many sermons have you heard solely on the role of angels and the reality of angels? Probably not many. Why? Because probably most of the pastors were like, oh, that's hard, Right? It's a tough sermon. Why? Because we don't have, we have a lot of appearances. We have a lot of things about angels, biblically. (coughs) Excuse me, and we'll get into that. But man, angels are all over our culture. And there's so many odd beliefs about angels that we've fabricated in our minds as to who they are or what they do. Like, for instance, Right now, I want you to just play along with me, or I want you to use your imagination, 
All right? And I want you, if you need to close your eyes, do it. You're safe. All right? I want you to picture an angel in your mind. What do they look like? Sound like? Smell like, I don't know. Picture an angel. Okay, now come back to me because whatever you pictured is probably wrong. I'm saying it's not exactly like that. And whatever, and, and, and anything that, that we put our imagination on, you think about what the kingdom of God might be like, what we think Jesus might be like, what we think this might be like, or this might be like, whatever it is, and angels included, it's, because what, 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 as humans, we like to make the things of the divine make sense to us, which means we got to pull it into our reality and put our truth on it, so meaning that the, that the angels are kind of like things we've already seen. So, so I went online, terrible place to go, but I went online trying to find some image of, a, of, a, of an angel, something that kind of reflects. I spent like 40 minutes, I'll never get it back, of my life, couldn't find one. And they kept falling in two categories. They either looked like, like a little chubby kid, or they looked like Brad Pitt with wings. Just... And I was like, ah, 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 ah. why? Because like, no matter what image you place around them, we have to pull them into, into the earthly, and they're not. So we're just going to have a good, honest talk about angels, maybe blow some smoke off of things we might have believed. All right, so I need you to sort of suspend what you think and get into what we know, and then maybe it'll... Put a little more onto it. Is that fair? Blink twice. All right. All right. What are angels? Let's talk about some some things we do mean. All right. What we know about angels. Let's go before Bethlehem, then we'll get to Bethlehem. Angels are created beings that were created by God in order to do the will of God. That angels were made by God as, and even the word angelos means a messenger. They were to carry the messages of God and to do his will. Uh, You see them bringing words of encouragement and comfort. They would um, fight spiritual battles on our behalf, bringing messages. Um, And and so these angels are, are a different category of created things than human beings. It's different. All right? Angels don't become humans. Humans don't become angels. It's different. It's a different thing, but they're created. And they were created to do God's will. So in spite of what we may have seen in cartoons and movies or whatever, or whatever, angels are not dead people in heaven. Like, you don't, like, I, I, like I used to watch Looney Tunes, and, you know, you see the anvil fall on someone, and then they, you know, and they got the little wings and, they're, and they become this little angel, and, and that's not true. Angels, from what we know, are not little chubby sitting on clouds playing harps. They're not bored, all right? If you've ever had a thought that you're going to be bored in heaven, it's not going to happen. They're very active. They got things to do, right? They're not sitting around waiting on their wings when a bell ding-a-lings, it just ding-a-lings, that's it. 
all right? Otherwise, I would just have, I actually did this as a kid. We watched the movie, whichever one it was, you know, and, I, and we had a bell at home, and I'm like, and my mom's like, stop with the bell. And I was just like, I'm giving them all their wings, all right? What are angels? Angels. Hebrews says that they are ministering spirits that have been sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. In a way, you could say angels give us a glimpse into what perfect obedience looks like. An angel was created by God to do his will and to do it immediately, do it joyfully, and without question. Satan, we know, is a fallen angel, meaning he did not want to do God's will. He wanted to do his will. And he deceived other angels, and there was a fall. They were kicked out of heaven. We don't have a lot of information around it, um, but there's some in Scripture of falling from heaven, being kicked out. The accuser has been kicked out. And then Satan then proceeds to deceive humanity in the same way to say, don't do God's will. Don't listen to him. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. Man, you do you. If it feels good, do it. Who's to say no? And then so when Eve and when Adam, when they ate of the fruit, that's been the original sin pumping in our veins ever since where the the short and dry of it is this, you don't like to be told what to do by anyone. You, the original sin is you are in control of your life, your destiny. And no one gets to tell you what to do. No one. That's why even like sometimes in worship, I'll be like, all right, play along. And there's always going to be 30 to 40% of anyone here that's like, no. And you're like, all right. But I was the same way growing up. How many of you notoriously don't like being told what to do? Be honest. See? And the rest of you are lying. Because I told you to raise your hand. <laughs> That's the original sin. The original sin, it's deep, it's pervasive, but it's God doesn't really love you. He doesn't have your bet. He's going to burn you. And that's the original sin, is, is you need to get around him. Ever since the fall, there's been a spiritual war going on for the souls of humanity, which basically centers around, do you trust God? Do you trust your creator or not? And there's a battle that's been going on ever since. Paul speaks to the battle when he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the, say it with me, schemes of the devil. What are schemes? They're plans, tricks, maneuvers. Paul says, be strong in the Lord with the strength of his might, putting on the armor of God so that you're able to stand again. Now, where are these schemes going? What's the directional pattern of the schemes of the devil? Well, he's, Paul's writing to the believers in Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying that the direction of the schemes of Satan is headed towards you. That Satan has schemes, plans, maneuvers, 
on how to get to you. Now, he can't steal your faith, but he can make you unfruitful in this life where you don't share it, where you don't live in it, where you're not at peace in it. His primary schemes are just to rile you up, make you afraid, make you anxious, or go the other route, make you prideful, make you entitled. Anything but joyful in the Lord. Golly, that is like nails on a chalkboard to Satan. Hearing the passionate praises of a bunch of people going, Jesus is amazing. He's like, no! Man, that's why you fight back against Satan, you sing. You're in a tough season, sing. You're in a hard time, pray to him, talk to him. But I'm not trying to like freak you out. I'm just being honest with you. None of us is outside the realm of having schemes against us. And Satan knows you. He knows the buttons on the back of your head. He knows how to get you riled up. You, we all got a pride button that he can poke. We got a fear button, an anxious button, a control button. He's got the algorithm. He's got it on you. He's got it on your family. He's got it on your kids. He's got it on your grandkids. He hates them. Why? Because Jesus made them. I think that's where the hatred started was prior to the creation of human beings. Satan was the top dog. He was Even one of his names is the beautiful one. And then God creates this other group of people known as humans. And they were not made like the angels. They're made differently because they're made in the image of God, with the breath of God, with the spirit of God. And they're elevated to the heights of God himself. They're different. And Satan's like, you love them more than us? You treasure them more than us. I'm going to show you what these humans are like. I'm going to show you what you created. So he goes in the garden and deceives them. So cut and dry, he hates you because you love Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Let me, let me take just a minute. Let me speak to the protectors in this room. All right? This is going out to all of you, but I'm going to speak. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a father, so I'm going to speak to the men for a minute, but while I'm not leaving any wives in the dark, you're just as brutally strong as any of us. All right? Especially you got my wife. I wouldn't mess with her. Right? Ephesians 5 says that husbands are to be the head of the household as Christ is the head of the church. Many guys have worked it up in their mind. Being the head of the household means you just make the decisions or balance the budget or whatever you say goes. And that's not what we're talking about. Being a real man has nothing to do with the size of your truck, guns, or muscles. That's not a real man. Being a real man, biblically, how well do you wash feet? How much do you serve? How much do you sacrifice? Being a real man is shown. Being a real protector of your family is how much do you pray? How much do you hit the... Because look at, be strong where? 
in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? My might? My CrossFit, rah, rah, rah. My truck? My gun? No. A real man trusts the Lord. He's engaged with their children on the deepest of levels to teach them the truths and powers of Jesus Christ. They're not strong and silent. They're strong and engaged. It's deep. They're emotional. Like Jesus. Compassionate. Slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love. It's the first place kids want to go to talk things through. That's what it means to be strong in the Lord, to put on the armor. It means you, you gird up, you, you strengthen yourself in thankfulness and in worship and in prayer and in praise. It means even in the hardest of times, we do the things of Jesus Christ and we do His will. And we do it as a family. And above all, we have a household of grace where we hold loosely to our mistakes, we hold tightly to His forgiveness, and we give away so freely what we've been given in Jesus Christ so that when our kids see the love of the mother and the father, they know the full love of God. That's what that means. Why? Because, Paul goes on to say, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Spiritual forces of evil. See, this tells us most of the things that angels are going to be doing in your life is going to go unseen. They're spiritual beings fighting spiritual battles. And most of the battles you're going to fight in your life, you're not going to see. The things we wrestle with so often are flesh and blood. Like if Jesus came and said, I want to take you out to coffee, all right? And then he pulled out like a, like a spreadsheet and it had a pie chart of what you're wrestling with, your cares and concerns, and kind of put on and he goes, oh, I just want to talk about this a little bit. And you know, and he goes to this pie chart and it says, I don't know, I'm just scared to death of what's going to happen with my kids. And he's like, really? They're yours? Did you make them? No, they're mine. I live in their body. I will protect them. Do you trust me? I'm scared to death of my finances. Really? Is your money providing for you or am I? I'm in control of money. I promised I'll provide and protect you. Do you trust me? Well, I'm just scared to death of our politics and the way our nation's going. Really? Am I sovereign? Am I at the right hand of God? Am I in control? Do you trust me? And over and over again, because at the end of the day, anything on here is spiritual. Every piece of our life is spiritual. Your marriage, your kids, politics, society, your job, all of it. They're all spiritual. They're all an opportunity for us at any given time to say, God, I trust you. Even Paul says, when you work, don't work like you're working for, for men or for like a human being, but you do your work for the Lord, no matter what you do. Whether you're a lawyer, doctor, you work at high whether you work for the Lord. It's spiritual. These are spiritual things that are going on. All right, I belabored this point. But it's important because we have the tendency of, of, of placing God in a category of our life. 
You know, I got work stuff, home stuff, family stuff, this stuff, this stuff, church. When the reality is, is that Jesus owns all of it. And he wants to be at the center of all the categories. He's at the middle point. And all of them are opportunities to say, Jesus, I trust you, I worship you, I praise you. But since then, there is a battle going on for the hearts and souls of humankind. Which is why the announcement to the shepherds is unbelievable. So, all right, let's go to Bethlehem. Ready? Shepherds are in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and one angel breaks through the veil and appears to these human beings, and they are filled with fear, and the angel says, fear not. I'm bringing you good news that's going to lead to great joy, and it's for all people. Today, today in the city of Bethlehem, the Savior's been born, Christ the Lord. You're going to find the baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. What's the announcement? The announcement, God's dealing with Satan. That was the original promise. Genesis 3, one of the coolest parts, is when, is when Satan's trying to deceive and drag humanity down, and God looks at him and goes, you want to know how much I love these human beings? You want to know? I'm going to crush your head through one of them. The very things you think are worthless and nothing, guess what? There's going to be one that's going to be born. And you might snap at his heel, and he's just going to wham right on your head. And it's happening. And the angels are like, it's happening. And then all of a sudden, not just this one, but a multitude, more than you can count, filling the sky, all saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth, there is now peace with those who are in the favor of God. Be at peace. You don't have to be anxious and stressed and all this. Why? Because the Christ is born. And if the Christ is born, everything's changed. Now, there's a part of this story that's always kind of confused me. I'm going to be honest with you. And the part of the story that's always confused me well, let me ask you this. On the 4th of July, how many fireworks displays can you see? All right? Like, even if you're at one, and then, like, Waukee's got one, Urbandale, like, they're all blasting off. And it's on the horizon, but you see the fireworks in the sky. True? And those are just fireworks. They're not a multitude of the heavenly hosts. So the question I've always had is they're in a region outside of Bethlehem and no one else saw the angels? Just the shepherds? Like not one person walked outside was like, Marjorie, get out here. Look at the, have you seen anything? Come on, call the name. Like, there was no TV at the time. No phones to distract. Because when the shepherds go into Bethlehem, everyone's shocked and awed at the news they're bringing. So no one else saw the angels. So that sent me in a little bit of a mental path. And so I went down the rabbit trail. And whenever you get on something that confuses you, don't just pick your head out of the Bible and be like, I need to think on this. No, no, no. Don't trust your brain that much. Right? you got to get back into the Word. And let the Word, Scripture interpret Scripture. So I started rooting around for where angels show up and stuff like this. And I stumbled upon 
a story from the Old Testament that I think sheds light on Bethlehem and our understanding of the angelic forces. And this comes from 2 Kings chapter 6. All right, now I'm going to paraphrase it. Feel free to read it at some point. It's a great story. But in 2 Kings chapter 6, what's going on is the Syrian army is at war with the Israelites. And the king of Syria is plotting to try to trap the Israelites and set up, you know, campaigns where they would be going down a road and then spring it on them. And over and over again, the Israelites are diverting around their plans. And the king is furious. And he thinks someone in his rank is snitching on the Syrian army. And he brings them all together. And he's like, who is it? And one of his servants says, it's none of us, Lord. But there's someone in their camp named Elisha. He's a prophet of their God. And this prophet knows the things you are thinking and saying in your bedroom. What? This king's like, where is he? He's in Dothan. Let's go get him. So they went to seize Elisha. And they send the whole army and they come and they encircle around the entire city of Dothan where Elisha and, one of, and, and, and he, has, he has a servant with him. And it says that they did this at night. So early in the morning, the, Elisha's servant wakes up and he goes outside and he looks out and he sees the Syrian army surrounding this around Dothan. And he is filled with fear. And then I picture Elisha kind of coming out with his coffee mug, just like, what's going on? And this guy's just, look. And Elisha looks out and he's like, oh, we're okay. In fact, what he said to him was this, don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then it says, in 2 Kings 6, Elisha prayed to God that his servant's eyes would be opened so that he could see what he could see. And God opened his eyes, and the servant boy looked out at the mountains around Dothan, and all he could see were horses and chariots of fire and an angelic host protecting the city. It's wild, isn't it? So just go there in your imagination. You have Elisha. You have the servant boy. They're both looking out. The servant boy sees nothing but the Syrian army, and Elisha can see the angelic forces behind. They're both looking at the same thing, except one can see and the other cannot. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Were the angelic forces still there even though the servant boy could not see them? Were they? Yeah. Because they sit behind this thin veil, which is what we know and the divine. And there's a thin veil. And every once in a while, God pulls back the veil and his messengers come through. And every time it happens and people interact with the glory of God, there's like, whoa! Every time that veil opens. That's why in Revelation when it says he's going to roll it back like a scroll, he's going to roll back the veil, and all of a sudden heaven and earth are going to collide, and there's going to be this cataclysmic moment when the things of God become fully the things, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord at that moment. So when you think of the second coming of Jesus, it's when the veil is fully torn. And that's what it meant, though, in the temple when Jesus died, and 
And it says the veil was torn in two. The thing that separated human, human beings from being with God was torn in the, in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came through the veil and was born as a child. And we don't always get to see with our eyes, but we have another sense of sight, and that's with faith. And just because you don't see it with your eyes does not mean it's not there. Look at this story. Now, if you're wondering what happens in this story, it's pretty amazing. I won't leave you on the cliffhanger. So the Syrian army attacks, and, and, and by the way, the angels don't even do anything. Elisha just prays to God and says, make them blind. And they are, all of them, become blind. And Elisha comes out to the, to the captain of the army and says, you're attacking the wrong city. I'll lead you to the right one. And he follows. And then he brings the entire army to Samaria, where the king of Israel is. They go into the city. They lock the doors. He prays. Their eyes are open from their blindness. And they're now they're in captivity. And then the king of Israel is like, cool, can we kill them all now? And Elisha says, no. They're prisoners of war. Feed them, right? Love your enemies. Feed them. They threw them a feast. Let them go back to their commander. And it says they never attacked that region of Israel again. Cool. But what we learn from this is just what happened in Bethlehem. God tore open the veil for the shepherds and they saw the angelic forces bringing the greatest words of comfort that have ever been heard by humanity, which is this night a Savior's been born Christ the Messiah, and peace be unto all of you, Jesus is here. And if Jesus is in the midst of it, you're going to be okay. If Jesus is in the midst of it, you're going to be okay. If he's with you in the midst of it, you're going to be okay. That's what they're saying. Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, shalom, well-being. It's going to be fine. Why? Because Jesus has been born. So to bring, to bring this deeper, as humans, I think we typically imagine God's protection sort of as this magical force field or something like that. And can God keep us from harm and just stop evil in its tracks? The answer is yes, of course. But the promise that God has made to us is that while we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear any evil. God is with us. And the comfort and the peace and the hope he brings, even in the midst of the hard times, in fact, throughout Scripture it says, if you follow Jesus, you will suffer. And suffering does not negate the presence of God. In fact, it heightens our senses to know that God's with us in the midst of the suffering. And the angelic forces are there to bring us messages of hope, of comfort, and also to fight spiritual battles on our behalf so that we can be in the peace beyond understanding. So look at these words from Jesus in Matthew 18.10. He says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels, plural, always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. This is the closest scripture we have to the belief of guardian angels. Now, there's nothing in scripture that says every single person gets like one angel. But what Jesus says is apparently the little ones get plural. At, at bedtime, 
The prayer my daughter prays is, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Angels watch me through the night and wake me with the morning light. I grew up with a different version. They changed it at preschool and we've hung on to it. Whatever. I think on that prayer now. Because what did we just ask Jesus to do? Was to send angels to sentinel up and to guard and protect my daughter while she sleeps. And according to Matthew 18.10, Jesus answers that prayer with a amen. Now I want you to imagine this. Because biblically it's true. How many angels are sitting on your house right now? How many angels are sitting on school buses as they drive to school or sentineled up around your work or sitting on top of your college kid's car as they drive back to school? How many heavenly hosts are in this room right now? We're here to worship the name of Jesus and to make much of his love and grace. And there's not a chance that that makes Satan smile. So we rebuke him, but don't think that there's things happening that we cannot see. Battles being waged for you, for me, for humanity. You know, something I didn't realize as a parent until I became a parent, was how much work it is to manage and care for a household. I never appreciated what my parents did till I became a parent, just to keep the floor clean, to keep food in the fridge, to keep food not from going moldy. Anything breaks, they look at me like I went to school for small appliances, which means I'm taking a day off watching YouTube videos trying to fix a microwave or whatever. It's an insane amount of work. I'm giving all of you a pat on the back right now if you manage a household. It's hard. It is hard work. And then your kids don't know any of it's going on. All they know is, why isn't there food on my plate? Why don't I have shoes that fit? I need some money for clothes. Why don't I have a cell phone yet? Why don't I have a cell phone yet? Why don't I have a cell phone yet? It's because I love you. Right? That's all they know because until you have a frontal lobe, all you care about is your world. Right? It's the life of a teenager. Very few other people, and even college kids, it's like my life, my world, my reality. And we did, we're blinded to whatever else might be going on. And then I think about my life as a human being and my cares and concerns and the things I wrestle with and the things I get consumed by. And maybe it's just like that. Maybe I'm just God's little child. And He's just up ahead like a good parent just paving the way to eternity and all these things that there's not a chance I even know what's going on. How many battles has He fought on my behalf to keep me in the faith? The food in my fridge, my family, the fact that we love each other, how many battles has he fought for my marriage? And how about you? How many battles? How many whispers of encouragement that all of a sudden you're thinking of a song or you're thinking of a verse? 
How do you know that wasn't the angel singing over you at night, going, it'll be all right, we're here? How do you know? What I do know is this, no matter where you are, no matter what's happening, no matter what you're going through, God's with you. And it says in Scripture, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And the very person that the angels quiver in fear towards, where the seraphim cover their eyes and they're like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the one. And the thresholds shake at the sound of his voice and it's covered in smoke. And that very God said, I love you so much. I'm going to live in your body. And now you're a temple of my presence. I'm in you. You're in me. You have nothing to fear. you got all the angel forces on your side, and if my love and my presence is for you, what could be against you? What could separate you from the love of God? So I'm going to leave you with an image, because I found only one picture that made me laugh of an angel. Now I'm going to, this goes to the Brad Pitt side of things, but it's the kid. Are you ready for this? One of my favorite pictures. It's a painting by Shannon Moringer. And the title of the painting is Back Off, Satan. It's Psalm 91.11. It says, and it's small, I'll read it for you. It says, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. But I want you just to take that image in. You got Satan the snake on the ground. You got this little boy with his little pooch belly, you know, and that face pointing at that snake. Like, get out of here. Now, what's giving this boy all that confidence? Because he's got the sword of heaven just pointing at that snake. And we know that the sword is the, is the word of God. No matter what you're going through, no matter what life brings your way, God loves you so much that he's promised that he will have ministering spirits, angelic forces, to guard and protect you in all your ways until the day that you get into the kingdom of God. And you have the power, no matter what's going on in your life, just like this little boy. I want all of your faith to be like this little boy, where I want you going through your life pointing at Satan and saying, back off, Satan. Those who are for us are more than those who are against us. God loves you. May you be encouraged and at peace by the reality and truth of the angels God sent to be in your life. I hold you near with your mother resting by my side. Is it wonder or fear? Tell me which one do you see? When you look back in my eyes The promise of the prophets The hope of every tribe Your little fingers reaching out to me tonight After all this time Why he has chosen us I will never
I will never understand As I hold you now I will have to trust Though I'm just a simple man This is all part of the plan You are in your fire 